Welcome to Prepare for Takeoff. I'm the creator and host, Terry L. Cyrus. We're the podcast dedicated to amplifying black excellence. Every week, we sit down with a proven professional or rising entrepreneur who is making a difference in the community. And this week, I couldn't be even more, I couldn't be any more excited to sit down with this brother who's making just phenomenal change in the community in the South Carolina um, area and beyond. This is, um, this brother is, he's somebody that he's a legend in his own, you know, we, we, I don't want to spoil too, you know, too much of his story. I'll let him share it. He can tell it better than I can, but the brother in question is none other than Tony Grant. Tony, what's going on, my brother? Jerry, how are you, sir? Thank you for inviting me. And it's a, it's an honor to be here for uh, prepare for takeoff. And you know what? It's an honor for us to be sitting down talking to you. I mean, you came to us highly recommended. They said, listen, they, they know what we do. They know we're all about amplifying black excellence. So as they say, the streets are always talking. And they said, you know what? Tony Grant is who you got to sit down with. You know, Tony, although he's in the Carolinas, South Carolina to be exact, but he's originally from Brooklyn. So I guess let's take him back to your original, you know, you know, how it all started. You know where your where your journey originated. Well, born in South Carolina, Spartanburg, South Carolina, uh, parent uh, single parent uh, household. Uh, my mom died when I was uh, seven years. I mean, twelve years old. Uh, so we moved to Brooklyn. Uh, my mother's uh, siblings uh, kind of kept us all together. So there were seven of us: five boys and two girls. So I end up, you know, leaving a small city, going to Brooklyn. So a huge change and having to make that change and having to make that adjustment, uh, finish high school there. And then after uh, working for about a year and a half, decided I would leave uh, Brooklyn and come back to South Carolina to go to college at South Carolina State University. Mm. So that that's my, my path. Uh, so what what was that transition like, you know, leaving um, South Carolina and then matriculating to Brooklyn? What was Brooklyn like? Because Brooklyn is way different uh, now. Oh, so what was Brooklyn like then when you made that transition? Man, it was huge. It's, that was uh, uh, June of 71. And so imagine being in June of 71 and the height of uh, so many things going on in the community, you know, Fortunately, my mother's uh, siblings, my mother brother, owned a restaurant in Brooklyn, and it was kind of the spot uh, on Dean Street between Kingston and Brooklyn Avenue. And so okay. he also he also owned an apartment building around the corner. So we all kind of stayed in the apartment building, worked in the store, and so that's really where I you know first got introduced to business. But it was it was an adjustment. It was a change, uh, you know, go, coming from a small town where we played outside to coming to a, a city with tall buildings and so many other uh, attractions, if you will. Right. And then what led you to making the transition back to the Carolinas after you spent those formative years in Brooklyn? Well, my last year of high school, I was in a program called the, uh, the Executive High School Internship Program. And I interned with a, a brother, his name was Don Shane. And Don was one of the first African-Americans to get a huge contract with uh, Con Ed. And so in my last year of high school, instead of going to school, I basically trained with him. And so that taught me so many things. And you take that piece of it and then leave there um, during the day and go work in the store. So I was getting the executive side of business and then getting the um, community side, uh, running, running a restaurant and how you deal with people. And so I had a younger brother who graduated. Again, I tried to go to high, college there. Didn't work. I was going to, I went to um, the New York Community College in, in, Midtown, in the heart of uh, Manhattan. Uh, right there, 42nd Street, and it just didn't work. You know, just too many distractions. It was the height of the disco era, and so I just wasn't focused. You know, I just wasn't focused. And so 
when my younger brother graduated from high school, he decided he was coming to go to college, and we just came down here together uh, and to go to college at South Carolina State University. And uh, the best decision I made. Now, what led you to picking South Carolina State of all the schools in um, South Carolina? Uh, I had a sister who actually graduated from South Carolina State in uh, 1973. So keep in mind, we moved to Brooklyn in 71. I went to high school. I graduated from high school in 76. So when she graduated, I went to her graduation. And so I was exposed to a college campus. Then there was a group on the block uh, in Dean Street where I lived. I lived on Dean between Kingston and Brooklyn. But there was a family on the block where um, they had young uh, adult children who had graduated from college. And so we talked about and they went to Hampton. So they talked about Hampton University. One of them was at Omega. And so just kind of had that exposure. And I went to homecoming with them one year and really got that exposure. And so when my younger brother graduated and said, you know, I I want to do this. So I decided that it was the best move uh, for me to go on and pursue an education. So having been exposed to South Carolina State and that being the home state. And uh, and then I had an older brother that knew the president of South Carolina State and knew some of the uh, um, senior people at South Carolina State. And so that made that entree at South Carolina State a whole lot um, easier. Right, so it seems there was a lot of connectivity to South Carolina State. Absolutely. And, and then also you had um, that exposure um, to the gentleman that was in our illustrious fraternity, Omega South Five Fraternity Incorporated. Hey, that's right. <laughs> so, yeah. and, so now tell me what, you know, how, how what kind of part did that play in your college experience, uh, pledging Omega South Five Fraternity Incorporated at South Carolina State? Well, it was amazing. You know, my, I have an older, my older brother, the one I was telling you about, he also is an Omega. Okay. And so that exposure helped me to understand the principles of Omega, what Omega men were about. And as I uh, observed them on the campus and saw what they were doing, uh, obviously, having been exposed and having here, you know, just hearing about Omega, how great it was, then it really uh, piqued my interest. And uh, I pledged Omega and... Uh, on April 9th, 1981 is when I went over. Uh, so that would be uh, coming up on 43 years. And so it gave me uh, really a great introduction to what was it about to be a man? What was it about to um, to be uh, focused, uh, to be focused on our cardinal and how those things really became uh, key pillars uh, in, in, in my life and in my career. So having pledged Omega, Omega, my uh, uh, when I graduated, I was Omega Man of the Year for the Sixth District, and then I went on to, to uh, uh, in fact, um, play a, a, a somewhat of a small role in Omega uh, when they bought the building in Atlanta and moved from Washington D.C. Uh, to Atlanta. They were having a problem to get the building financed. And uh, I was contacted by then the Grand Bosslers. Um, and uh, I was able to put that deal together uh, where Omega was able to uh, buy the building in Atlanta and finance the relocation for the fraternity uh, to Snapfinger Parkway uh, in Decatur, Georgia. So I, I put that deal together. God allowed me. I say I. God allowed me to put that deal together and play a role in, in making that happen. So I say it's a small role, but, you know, at that time it was a purchase, uh, $2.5 million acquisition of that building in Atlanta. They were trying to get the deal done, and the deal got hung up. And so I was with Bank of America. They contacted me, and all glory to God, we were able to put it together, and the rest is history. 
They closed December the 29th. I'm sorry, uh, December the 9th, 1995 is when that building closed. And um, I was fortunate to bring the check. <laughs> <laughs> that's, look, that's a huge part that you played in Omega. And, you know, major salute to you on that. I mean, we, we owe a huge debt of gratitude for you putting that deal together. Um, and I mean, that, I mean, that's, that, that's something that all of our members in the fraternity should be fully aware of the part that you played. And I'll make certain that, you know, the bros are, you know, uh, put on notice, like, Hey, this is a brother who we owe a huge debt of gratitude um, to because because of him, we were able to make the successful transition from Washington, D.C. to Decatur, Georgia. So a uh, major salute to you on that. And I know you had mentioned that you were at Bank of America. So I guess walk us through what um, your professional trajectory was once you graduated from um, South Carolina State. Yeah, uh, once I started Bank of America, it was a predecessor bank called Bankers Trust. And we were a small bank, but uh, I was... Uh, in the training program, started in the training program. And normally when you're in a training program, when you finish, uh, they send you to the consumer side. But I was fortunate to get paid. They were starting a new commercial loan officer training program. So I was actually the first to go through that training program. And uh, having been uh, tapped to do that program, again, through the grace of God, that we were able to uh, get out and do business. Again, having been exposed to business with my uncle, you know, I did payroll, you know, I did inventory. And so when I was in college, I was exposed to those things. All right. And then when I did the training with the executive at high school internship program, he taught me how to, you know, hey, look, get a phone call, write it down, date time, take notes when you're in the meetings. Review your notes. So, so those things just came together. So when I had a chance to uh, go through the training program, again, uh, God allowed me to excel. And and through that program, I had uh, the opportunity to become a loan officer. And um, you know, in a short period of time, uh, through certain mergers, I ended up being the person that ran that office uh, for Bank of America. So that was commercial lending, so commercial and corporate lending. And so I started out as a loan officer, uh, and then I became a kind of a, a manager, and then I, beca I, I became uh, the regional exec. And that regional exec job, I had uh, different counties, probably about seven or eight counties. And from there, uh, I got tapped um, in Charlotte. Uh, to come to Charlotte, I got what's called the Hugh McCall Crystal Grenade. Back then, Hugh McCall was the chairman of the board. Every year, he gave out crystal grenades for people he thought that excelled well in the corporation. And so if you got one of those crystal grenades, I still have it in my, in my cabinet, but if you got one of those crystal grenades that, during the Hugh McCall era, you would tap to, you, you were basically, he put his hand on you and and uh, really recognize you for all you do for the corporation. I was very involved in the community. I'm very involved in the mergers. So um, majority of the mergers and all of the mergers. So when I left Columbia, I got tapped to go to Charlotte. And in that job, I was chairman of Asset Quality Review. At that time, I was responsible for the credit quality for maintaining the credit quality for the corporation. Uh, and that was at that time it was Nations Bank Corporation. We were a three hundred and seventy-five billion dollar operation. So my group, I had a group for pretty much every segment of business. A group that did telecommunication, a group that did credit card, a group that did mortgage, and uh, I was the first African American to run that group. Um, and uh, for for the corporation, in addition to that. Every time we bought a bank, it was my group that would go in, look at the bank that we were buying, and we would do a credit audit of the bank that we were buying. So that gave me the opportunity. So having been exposed, again, I grew up on public assistance, public welfare, 
And so I came from public housing. And so, you know, again, God, nobody but God allowed me to uh, rise to that level, be in these roles, um, riding around on the corporate plane, having come from where I, I came from. And then being a, a playing a, a key role in mergers. And so every time we bought a bank, my group would go in and do the due diligence. So we were looking at the bank that we were buying just to make sure we knew where all the problems were. Mm-hmm. And if we that- had, once we had, once we identified the problems, then we were able to go in and that helped us understand where we need to focus. Mm-hmm. That's phenomenal. I mean, as, as I mentioned earlier, we're all about amplifying black excellence and you are clearly the epitome of black excellence. I mean, I'm just listening to your story and there's so many firsts, you know, the first to operate in that capacity at a, at a bank, you know, with, you know, with the kind of reach the bank of America has, and then just the role that you played and, you know, for our illustrious fraternity, making that transition from DC to, to Georgia. Um, so I, I, I guess my question to you is, when did you have that pinch me moment? Because you had these humble beginnings. You, you, you were, uh, you, you were someone that grew up in public housing, and now you're riding around on corporate jets. Like, when did you have that pinch me moment? I'm sure you've had it several times over, but when did it just uh, kind of resonate and say, "Wow, I've arrived." Well, you know, I'm careful to say I've arrived. Well, I, you know, I always tell my children, I'm blessed. You know, where God brought me from to where he brought me to is nobody but him. And I know it was nobody but him. So, you know, what I I was always do because I was from Spartanburg, South Carolina. So, and, and when I was in Carolina, Spartanburg reported to me. So when I was up there, maybe doing a speech for the chambers, I always rode through my neighborhood. And so even when I lived in Columbia, my office was downtown, but instead of taking the parkway home, I always rode through the city uh, where the street passed public housing every night. That reminded me every day. Nobody but God, because I would ride by and say, you grew up in a place like this. And, but God allowed you to, to be here. You know, I, I dealt with uh, so many uh, folks, of, you know, from Quincy Jones um, and to um, Shaq, um, to Johnny Cochran, uh, Earl, Earl Graves, all of them, you know, I dealt with uh, on some, Bob Johnson, all of them who were dealing, uh, doing deals and, you know, bank, our bank used to lend money to Bob. You know, when Bob tried to do some things that, he called Bank of America. The chairman asked me to go see him. You know, Johnny, uh, you, you, I'm sure you know um, um, our frat brother up there who owned Uniworld, uh, Byron Lewis. Right, Byron Lewis. Byron was a very good friend of mine. So Byron was the one that brought Johnny. You know, first of all, Byron couldn't get business from Bank of America. He came to see me, and we were able to... Um, um, Signed Byron as a as a, a client of Bank of America, he got business from us, mm. and Byron brought Johnny Cochran to me, and um, and then Johnny Cochran brought Master P to me. I was also on the National Urban League board, and so having served on the National Urban League board with John Jacob, I was on the executive committee. So I was a young fellow on the executive committee of Bank of I mean of. Uh, the National Urban League exposed all these CEOs and all these executives. And then at these dinners, you know, I'm in the back room with all these guys. So that's where I met, you know, Johnny Cochran over and over again and other people again. That's where I met Quincy Jones. So Quincy asked me to come out to California. Uh, so I went out to California, met with Quincy. He had a project that he wanted us to, wanted, uh, to talk to me about, asked me and I'd come see him. I also went to see Shaq, and so on some things. You so I say from a, you, know, you say pinch me moments. I've had them, and um, and you just try. I try to stay focused, and remember they put their britches on the same pants, the same way I put mine on. 
and that, uh, and then treat them like that, and uh, and with respect, and you know, that's that's how I've always tried to do it. And so there's so many of them. I don't want to start name dropping, but God has blessed me to to deal with an an awful lot of them one on one. When Bob when Bob Johnson uh, first bought the uh, Charlotte Hornets. You know, uh, I went and visited with Bob. First, he tried to buy um, the um, the shuttle from U.S. Airways shuttle from Washington, D.C. to New York. And um, again, my chairman, uh, Hugh McCalls, asked me to go see, go take a, a group to go see him. Michael Jordan tried to buy uh, the Hornets at one time, too. And um, I couldn't get, I was trying to get to Michael, couldn't get to Michael. And um, I called Quincy Jones. And Quincy Jones called David Falk, you know, who did the the, the movie uh, that they were in. And David Falk uh, put me in touch with Michael. And uh, so... We we arranged for Michael to come to Charlotte. We were sending a plane to go get him, bring him in, because he first tried to buy the Hornets before Bob Johnson did. Mm. So again, God allowed me to be in all those conversations. That's phenomenal. And you know, you and I, we both not only do we share fraternity together, we also share faith. So clearly, faith has you know guided you through this whole process. So now, and I'm sure, like in any. Um, professional journey, mine included, there's ups and downs. So how did, I'm sure faith played a, a, a huge role in, in that trajectory. So I guess just kind of walk us through when did faith become such a big part of your life? Was that something that um, you were reared in as a child or was that something that you found as an adult? Really, I found it as an adult. I always believed that, you know, when my mom left us, in 1971, I truly believe that um, God told her it's okay and you, your children going to be okay. And my mother's sisters and brothers really kind of raised us. Mm-hmm. And she had a, a sisters, uh, my Nell and others, who were very, very spiritual. I didn't find it for myself until I moved back to South Carolina. Mm-hmm. Found a church, joined the church, got active in the church. Then um, my wife's father uh, was an AME minister. And he pastored for 52 years, going on to glory. But uh, we've been there 38 years, but it was during that time where you know, uh, my uh, dating her and ultimately marrying her and continuing that faith, because I believe a family prayed together, stay together. Absolutely. And so, and so that that helped me to get spiritually grounded and um, uh, began to focus on knowing that none of this happens. Uh, you know, God ordained me, gave me a special talent. And and then the other thing I had to do, I had to learn to tithe. You know, I, I play played at tithe. You remember we say play play. Right. But I play I play played at tithe. I didn't do it the right way. But I finally learned what the concept of tithing was about. And I think that made a phenomenal difference in my life. Mm. So through your, I think, I guess my understanding and correct me if I'm right or wrong. So as you tithe, the more you gave to God, the more God gave to you as far as blessings that he bestowed on you in your professional career. Well, I wouldn't say it that way. Here's what I would say. Okay. Recognizing that regardless of what you give, you give 10%. Right. Right. So as long as I'm giving the 10%, keeping that faith and recognizing, pay me first before you pay everybody else. Mm-hmm. And so, and so, I kind of learned to break off my ten percent for God, break off my ten percent for myself, and save it, and then learn to work with the eighty percent. Mm. And so, and in doing that, every time I got blessed, 
I was able to be more of a blessing to the church. I see. And so it wasn't that when I got more, I got more. But yeah, you know, when I got more, I was already, you know, tuned in to doing the right thing. And, you know, you know, gratefully, you know, I married a woman who understands that, um, you know, beautiful woman who's a, a an attorney and uh, and very brilliant woman. Went to Duke University School of Law. At that time, uh, Duke was in the top 10 law schools in the country. And so we've, we've tried to keep a dynamic team together for our family and our children. And, right. and my children, my family, you know, uh, at some point I'll talk about them, but I'm blessed uh, with all of them. They're all extraordinarily uh, um, successful, I believe. And we'll talk about them a little bit more when the, when the time permits. Absolutely. So now, so you spent, I believe it was 20 years at Bank of America. Is that correct? Yes. And and at what point did you say, you know what? Okay, I've worked for these huge corporations. Now I want to um, set up my own shop and, and, you know, work for myself and empower myself and others who look like me. When did, when, when did you have that light bulb moment? Well, it was, it was, um, it was, uh, um, 9-11. It, it, you know, doing the merger, Bank of America merger, it was nothing for me to get on a, a plane and fly to California especially if, if I wasn't on the bank's plane, you know, the bank had at that time about 10 planes. Mm. And so, so for me to fly to California, come back on the red eye, you know, but it was nothing for me to get on a plane, go to sleep and fly coast to coast. But you know, my wife and I had twins in uh, 1998, a twin daughters. And we already had two boys, and just that I was at I was at Bank of America Tower when it happened, and they vacated the tower building, and they were telling us to be careful leaving the building. We were one of the tall buildings in Charlotte. They put all the airports on notice. They were monitoring the plane activity, and. Bank of America had several towers, but one of the towers was in the flight pattern. Mm. And so it was, it was one of the first buildings, the corporate building where the CEO is, but, and my building was across the street, but they told us uh, the, that we needed to vacate. And, you know, just, just that whole concept of uh, what was going on with that concept, I mean, with that phenomenon, and uh, what it meant to me and my family. And so it just made you think. And what I thought about is I got these young daughters I'm raising, and I've got these two young men I'm raising. Uh, uh, so my wife and I have uh, uh, our oldest son is Hamilton, and then second son is Alex, and then twins, Christine and Catherine. So it just made me think about just how, how I took for granted flying across the country. And and in doing that, it made me realize that I probably needed to do something different. Mm -hmm. And so in that regard, um, the bank was making some changes and they modified my region because I had, I was running, uh, small business lending at that time for North and South Carolina. Uh, but before that, when I was traveling coast to coast, I was president of multicultural banking. And that's where I met all these stars, you know, Johnny Cochran, Earl Graves, all of those guys. And so, um, so that's when I was doing the coast to coast thing. Mm -hmm. And that's when nine 11 happened. And so that's when I decided I, I would I would uh, leave a couple of years uh, later. And I started um, at that time. Uh, it was. Um, they, were, they were consolidating my region right after the 9-11. The, 
and they were consolidating my region uh, and they were creating a bigger region uh, from Washington, D.C. down to North Carolina. And I just didn't want to do that. Uh, I'd already spending too much time away from home. So I knew God had, you know, had introduced me to all these things, exposed me to this. And uh, I just, I just remember um, saying to God, I know you didn't bring me this far to lick me. Mm. And I know you, I know you exposed me to this and showed me how to do all this. I tell a lot of people, I liken it in the Bible when uh, Moses lived with the Pharaohs and God sent Mer- Moses uh, to and Aaron to uh, free his people from the Pharaohs. Uh, and so my Moses experience was working with Bank of America and having been exposed with Bank of America, all of it from the lending piece, risk management piece, marketing piece, all of that exposed me and prepared me and then serving on the National Urban League Board with the exposure with CEOs across America. Mm-hmm. So all of that exposure, I knew God had prepared me for something. So I mean, my prayer was, God, I, I, you know, I'm stepping out on faith. I'm trusting you. And so I started my own uh, business then. Uh, I, I worked it out where I, uh, where I could uh, continue. I worked it out where I, I got paid for a year uh, while I started my business. And that was really a, a great deal for me. And so it allowed me to grow my business, start my business. One of my first clients was the AME Church and the National Baptist Convention. You know, the National so National Baptist Convention had a problem. Um, that was during the days where they had a, a CEO who run into some hard times and issues, and the bank was pressing them on their loan. Mm. And uh, one of our specialties is because I've worked in risk management, how to bank structure the deals. And I've also worked with online side where I've actually gone out to get these deals. We understand both sides of the equation. And so when we were presented with that problem with the national president of the National Baptist Convention, uh, one of the things they were coming across is the bank was really pressing them. Mm-hmm. And so um, God allowed me to work with them through my new business. They came to me and asked me if I could help them with the bank. I told them I was leaving the bank, and I told them I was starting my own business. They said, well, good. We'll be one of your first clients. And to God be the glory, that loan that they were being pressed on, we were able to structure that deal for them and and restructure it. And um, and uh, put that deal and got it refinanced with two black-owned banks. And, uh, and and they were able to, um, that was the National Baptist Convention. And then my, my other client was in, with the uh, National, the uh, Connectional AME Church. So we were able to help them and uh, with projects that we still work with them today. In fact, I talk with the National Treasurer today. And we're still on retainer with them. We've been on retainer for them, you know, well over 20 years. That's amazing. And I mean, and you, I mean, you said it, stepping out on faith. And a lot of times when I meet people and they say, well, listen, there's a lot of, that, you know, there's a lot that I want to do. And the thing that really stops them is fear. And, you know, fear is not, I, you know, I'm a faith, you know, I'm a faith, very faith-based and oriented as far as my thinking. And, you know, fear's not of God. You know, the thing that it's going to take to please both man and God is faith. So stepping out on faith is something that is uh, is very necessary. But I always tell people you have to step out on faith, but have a plan and, and, and take calculated risk. And one of the things you mentioned is say, hey, listen, I stepped out on faith, but I put myself in a position where the bank was going to pay me for an entire year. And in doing so. That put me in a position to build my business. So can relate to that 
tenfold as far as being able to figure out ways to have multiple streams of income. Because as right. you know, you know, when you have this, you know, as it relates to having a business, there's there's highs and lows. And especially right. when you're starting out. And I went through that myself as far as, mm. you know, trying to, and this is hence the name, prepare for takeoff. The most difficult part of any journey is takeoff. Now, once you ascend and you're in an altitude, you and I could probably fly the plane at that point. Right. But the real, the, the real challenge is getting that plane airborne. And I think that and, people. And, and, yeah. and landing. Right. Exactly. And landing. So I think that to your point, you know, what we like to do in these conversations is show people, hey, listen, we're going to share these stories that are going to help you go through that 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 period that you may be in is like you're preparing for something, whether it's something that you're early on in your career and it's something you want to do and you want to do it as far as transitioning, working for yourself or maybe transitioning in a com completely different role. Or as we're getting older, I'm finding more and more people that may have had a job and they're they're about to retire and they want to do something completely different, something that they've always wanted to do. So there's always new chapters in in our lives. But a lot of times what people are paralyzed by is, as I like to call it, uh, paralysis by analysis. They'll overanalyze how, why something isn't going to work, talk themselves out of the blessing. And, and I'm sure the enemy is thrilled to see and hear that you know, that fear that he's putting in the atmosphere is landing. And what you mentioned to me earlier in our conversation is it, it, it is how your faith, I'm sure, continued to grow based on the people that you put yourself around, courtesy of your wife, whose father was a, uh, a, a minister, and then, and then creating those ties to the faith-based community. So now you're surrounding yourself by like-minded individuals, and you still continue to expand, you know, your professional pursuits. And then you brought those professional gifts back to the faith-based community. So salute to you on that. And now, and you, and, and, and then I'm sure that not only are you, are you working with faith-based um, organizations, are you also working with people in the private sector as well? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, one, one of the things that we do, we work with, so when I tell you we're financial advisory and strategic advisory, so we work with for-profit and not-for-profit entities. We do a lot of work in the church space. But remember, I ran Bank of America Small Business Lending. So I, I, I feel like I bring that um, skill set to the equation, too. I ran Bank of America's commercial and, and corporate function. So I bring that skill set. And so whether it's just faith-based or whether it's others. So we do advise small businesses. Uh, we advise uh, uh, medium-sized businesses. Uh, we've we advise, uh, in fact, I talked to uh, one of the municipalities this morning. We do uh, seminars. We've done webinars for them on small business, uh, on cash flow, understanding financial statements. And so we'll we, we do seminars for there. We've done, so yeah, we, we work with all businesses. Um, we, uh, we work with a client, and this is just one of our clients, um, uh, who um, owned a, um, a um, solid waste business. They picked up trash, which is a huge business. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, this person was trying to sell that business. So we took him and worked with him and, and, and coached him. So we do a lot of business coaching as well. And so, and once he sold that business, the company that bought the business hired us mm. because he had contracts that they needed to keep. And so they hired us. They're new to the neighborhood, new to the community. And so uh, we work with them to keep those contracts. We were successful in helping them keep both of those contracts. And so we, we have a fee-based arrangement there, a success fee arrangement there. So when we work with clients, uh, to do things like that. Oftentimes we get called in with their problems and we do problems. We do new loans. We can do all of the above. So what we're able to do is look at the problem, assess the problem, and then write a remediation plan and mm. then go with them on their behalf 
and with them to the bank to pitch the remediation plan. That's amazing. Before they touch that third rail. Right. Yeah, you, I mean, that's, you're preparing them for takeoff. (laughs) You know, realizing that, hey, they find themselves in turbulence and they, hey, we have this situation and we, we don't know how to get from, you know, where we are to where we want to go. They, they, they contract, you know, your firm to have, to have them to, 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 to make certain that they're successful in their trajectory and making that transition. I mean, that's, that's amazing. And I'm, and I, or, and, or, or keeping them airborne, you know, and, to borrow and, your analogy. And keeping them airborne and then maybe even helping them land the plane yeah. by way of landing some of these deals, maintaining some of these opportunities that they've inherited through a, a merger acquisition or whatever the case may be. And, right, right. And, and, and that's so, and, and that's why what we want to do is have these conversations because I'm sure there's a, a, a young mind out there, whether they're still in school, whether they're in business school, whether they're, you know, new to their profession or trade and hearing a story like yours, they're going to, to, to say draw inspiration is an understatement. So that's why. You know, we, we need to let people understand and realize there are a lot of people who are doing phenomenal things that are melanated. I know there's a narrative out there as it relates to, you know, you can excel in certain areas of, you know, of business or in cer- certain professions. But I want to be able to show people that we are, we, you know, we, 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 we are in all walks of business, whether that's finance, real estate, medicine. I want to be able to give them uh, examples such as you to, to look to and say, this is a shining example of what I can accomplish. Who, you know, if, if I, if I put, if I put in the work, if I stay humble and continue to keep the faith, you know, they too can have the success that Tony Grant has had. So one of the things you had mentioned is your family. And I know family is near and dear to you. You mentioned you have two, um, you have two boys, you have two boys. Um, one of your sons I know is also, a member of our illustrious fraternity, and you also have twin girls, and I believe they're in med school. Is that correct? Or yeah, yeah. Well, Hamilton, and uh, is uh, he's the president of our company, so he's been working with us since. Uh, again, he went and got his MBA, went to uh, South Carolina State, and then went to Alabama A and M, got his MBA in marketing and finance, and then my second son is Alexander, who happens to be one of those other fraternities. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, we won't hold it against him. <laughs> yeah, he's, he, he's an alpha. I, I tell him I still love him, and I remind him that it'll make a pay for to be a Right, right, right. Absolutely. And we, and we still love him. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But Al- Alex is doing great things. I mean, he's been recognized. He's on the uh, creative side. He, uh, he has uh, a degree in broadcast journalism. And um, he has been a part of sports, um, uh, sports uh, with the University of South Carolina, their broadcast group. And then he went to Maryland and worked for the University of Maryland. And now he's a director of video imaging at the Panthers. Oh, that's awesome. Carolina Panthers. So he has a degree in broadcast journalism, travels with the team and, and just, uh, um, he's one of the content creators there, and um, and then the um, he's our second child, and our third uh, child, uh, our third and fourth are twins, mm-hmm. identical twins, and both of them are in med school. That's so awesome. We're, we're blessed. I would say so, to say the least. I mean, you know, you guys are you 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 guys are our forefathers' wildest dreams to say that hey we you know i as it relates to people who look like you and i get the, the success that you that not only that you're having but the success that your children are having and as i say all the time um children believe what they see not what they hear so they, as they've seen your sin and as you've continued to go on to 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 new peaks and, 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 and all of the things that you've managed to do, it allows them to see and understand and realize that anything they put their mind to is possible. Whether, um, it's, it, it, you know, it, it's, 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 you know, your son that is the president of the business, whether it's your other son who works 
for the Carolina uh, Panthers or whether it's your twin girls or in med school, they realize and understand whatever they want to do, it's possible. And I'm sure like anything that starts at home, they're seeing you and the success that you are, your wife having attended you know, Duke University School of Law. I mean, that's phenomenal. And unfortunately, there there's not enough of these stories that we hear about. And I want to be able to make it my business to share and bring to the forefront um, stories like yours and others. Well, I, I'm honored and humbled. You know, one of the things that we did early is we took our children. Again, I was on the National Urban League board. And so really, really huge exposure. You know, I, you know, doing one of the business luncheons, I'm introducing uh, the CEO of a major corporation at the business luncheon. And, and then, and then I played a role of inviting, again, our CEO invited to come speak to the National Urban League. And so um, those meetings, uh, we took our children doing, doing those, uh, like the National Urban League convention. And so they were exposed uh, so much so that one of the speeches for uh, Hugh, Hugh, at that time, Hugh Price, who was the president of the National Urban League, um, in his opening speech to kick the Urban League uh, convention off, he mentioned that we can start the conference because Tony Grant and his family are here. <laughs> and so, just, you know, what what an honor. And then, um, and then the, the other Hugh McCall and his speech at the National Urban League said, I'm here because of Tony Grant, who is a senior executive in our South Carolina Bank. And so for our children to hear that and see that and be exposed to that, you know, I was blessed to take Hamilton uh, with me on a trip to go visit Shaq and took him to Shaq's house when he was 12 years old. At um, Omega Sci-Fi, I took Alex um, when um, and we were visiting with President Clinton. So I was able to take him to President Clinton's uh, uh, library where the Omega were there and Alex hadn't pledged yet. He was a young kid, but for him to meet President Clinton and he was a young, only kid there and President Clinton just came over and talked to him. Alex carried a conversation with him, but, uh, you know, President Clinton will say, what you doing here with all these guys? And Alex, <laughs> Alex carried a conversation with him, but exposing them, Helen and I took the girls different places. But just to expose them, the National Urban League was a medium where we did a lot of that and some of the others. And then I, the Columbia Urban League here in Columbia, South Carolina, I chaired their board for a couple of times. I was treasurer of their board for a couple of times and just being actively engaged in the community. But I've always said to them, you know, don't complain about what the community is unless you put something back in it. Oh, I like that. I and like so, that. and so, getting involved in the community, um, you know, contributing to the community. I also served as chairman of the board of South Carolina State University. So you you got somebody that came from huh, not knowing what college was about to go to college, and then ultimately, uh, twelve years after graduating, you know, becoming the chairman of the board of trustees. That's amazing. That's amazing. So, and then my wife, Helen, she became the chairman of the board of our alma mater, uh, Columbia College, which is a, a liberal arts school here. So we were chairman of our alma maters at the same time. And so just exposing our, our family to things like that and just, just to let them know that, uh, you know, you got to put something back. You got to put something back in the community and, uh, and and just uh, and keep God as a center, because we you know I made sure they saw me going to church every Sunday because I took them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, mm -hmm. same with my parents. I, you know, no matter what time I got in, every morning I was in church. And, That's right. <laughs> That's you know, right. And, and, and then my church, I grew up in a Methodist church, um, Simpson Memorial United Methodist Church in Charleston, West Virginia, which initially was right. an AME church. And, right. uh, and this is something that I'm sure you can appreciate. Bishop Love used to be a bishop at our church. 
I do know that. Yeah. Right. So there's a lot yeah. of Omega Psi Phi fraternity um, history at my church, including Julius Love, who's also one of our charter members, Data Psi. So okay. there's a lot of. Was um, that a Omega relationship with Bishop Love? Yeah, that was his cousin. Okay. Well. Right. Yeah. So, okay. um, yeah. so there, there's a lot of synergy, and I tell people, hey, you know, there's a there's a lot of history, not just at my church, but also at um, you know, just in the area, of West Virginia State, as well as you know, just Charleston as a whole, and and the power of media. To your point, um, the the story that I'm sure you're familiar with, um, hidden figures, Katherine Johnson, and right. and and despite the fact that I attended West Virginia State. My brother, who's also a member of Omega Psi Five Returning Incorporated, and my sister, who's a member of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated, despite our, you know, our you know attendance at West Virginia State and having graduated from there, and literally the school was right down the street. When I say, Tony, yeah. you can see the school from my parents' backyard, oh, and, wow. then, and then many of the faculty members were 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 neighbors of ours despite all of those things coupled wow. by the fact mm -hmm. that it was a woman named daisy austin who actually initiated at new chapter she initiated katherine johnson into alpha kappa alpha sorority wow. Wow. despite mm -hmm. all of those you know um in, intersecting points i never knew of her story wow. so that's the thing that drives me with prepare for takeoff because I didn't know that story until when? Until when the movie came out. Wow. So media has such an impact on shaping the minds of those who are presently in the job market, those who are going to find themselves in the job market as it pertains to those who are still being educated. Wow. So wow. I'm like, it took a movie for us to know of her story. And then luckily for us, the school was able to give her her roses before she, um, passed on and now she has a statue that was erected at my university wow. but prior to that i didn't know of her story whatsoever so i know the kind of impact that had for me and just myself growing up in charleston west virginia having an interest in entertainment i know you're missing some illustrious individuals quincy jones to name a few and i didn't know that there's things that i wanted to do i could actually do because in my mind I didn't see that as a possibility in West Virginia. I didn't think, number one, I didn't even know what I could do in entertainment. Uh, and right, it took right, right. conversations and exposure for me to realize that the things that God put in my heart and, you know, in my spirit, you know, that was put there, you know, so I could find a way to nourish it. And that's, again, what we want to do. We, we, we want to nurture you know, whatever is in the minds of our youngest, even as well as some of our, some of our contemporaries, it's never too old, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. to dare to dream. Whether you're in your 40s, 50s, or 60s, or 70s. I, I just seen a mm -hmm. gentleman um, who actually is from West Virginia. I want to say he was 99 and he finally got his degree. He was, wow. he was, he was, he was a much older gentleman. I want to say he was in his 90s, if I'm not mistaken. I just seen actually, I actually seen that on Instagram. So it's never too late. So that that's me. I'm the kind of person that I'm always trying to not only inspire people, but I draw inspiration from other people. And right, so your right, your right. story as we close out, I mean, you you have an amazing journey and thank you for sharing, you know, just a little bit about your journey. There's a lot more about your journey to say the least. But what I want to do is want to give you the opportunity to leave us with three takeaways you would want our listeners and viewers to to walk away with as far as like you know some gems if you will huh well I, I would say one of the first things i would say to you is uh uh build a relationship with uh with god or whoever your creator is uh because uh that is huge uh, oftentimes the uh you're out there you're doing things and you, all these ideas pop up well i can't do this i can't do that i can't do this i can't do that but your creator tells you our god tells you you can do anything uh through me because i strengthen you uh the second thing i would say is you know i've, I've been blessed to work with a lot of people you know, again I was, you know, and I didn't talk a lot about how I started a business, but 
the other thing that that kind of got me in this thing is uh, this business was Bank of America used to be a huge sponsor for the Black Enterprise Entrepreneurs Conference. And I was president of that group. And and so every year we would do the Entrepreneurs Conference in Florida. And, and Earl Graves and I would kick it off. Earl would kick it off as, as a publisher. And I would comment as the the executive from Bank of America. And we brought people from the bank to do seminars. And that was when he was doing the top 100 African-American-owned businesses. Well, that's how I got exposed to all of those guys. And I met all of them and worked with them. And it really became a business lead opportunity for me too, because as they were looking for deals, they were calling me. And so... My point in saying all of that is don't limit yourself. I always believe it's not where you came from, it's where you're going. Remember where you've been. You have to know where you've been in order to know where you're going. And just because I grew up in public housing, and just because I grew up in public assistance, and just because I grew up in a single-parent household, didn't mean that our God can prepare me for greater things. And so in that regard, you know, I met all of these people and and was able to communicate with them. Uh, they knew I knew my business. They knew I, uh, you know, went to work to try to help them. But my point to you is um, make certain you you understand that just because you started on one place doesn't mean you have to end up there. In fact, there's a there's a quote in Job that said, I think it's Job 8 and 5 or 5 and 8. It's basically said, just because you started here doesn't mean you have to end up here. I'm paraphrasing. And then the last thing I would say to you is, I always believe that... Um, the sky's the limit. I always, I tell my son, I used to tell, at one point I had about 300, two, 300 lenders, commercial lenders. And we would send them out, try to conduct, you know, bring in business. I, I always told them, ask for it, ask for the business. And my, and my quote was, make them tell you no politely. You know, <laughs> don't be arrogant about it, but ask. Right. And, ma and make them say no. Mm-hmm. Or get make them give you an answer. But if you don't ask, you don't know. Right. So my quote was, and I tell my children, make them tell you no politely. Right. Don't be don't be bold about it. Don't push people around mm -hmm. but ask. You'd be right. surprised what you get when you ask. I agree. I agree. And, and so, one of the one of the things that I, I share with people all the time, Tony, is closed mouths don't get fed. That's right. That's exactly right. And if you don't ask for it, you know, again, we have not because we haven't asked for it. And I always tell my children, too. They'll tell you this. They said, Dad, you always taught me how to ask for the manager. You know? <laughs> so we might be dealing with something and somebody says no. I've always said to them, well, just ask somebody. Well, do you mind if I speak to your manager? Mm-hmm. And so if this person thinks that that's what their role is, ask. Ask mm -hmm. another level up. Right. And, uh, and if you're not able to convince that person, maybe you'll be able to convince the next. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I agree. I agree. I mean, those are just some some jewels. And, and, and I subscribe to a lot of those jewels myself. And they've served me extremely well. So again, I just wanted to thank you for spending some time with us. And I also wanted to give you the opportunity to um, share how people can find you, your website, if you're on social media or the best way to contact you and as well as your, your, your organization. Well, again, our website is uh, uh, grant, G-R-A-N-T, B-U-S-A-D.com, grant, B-U-S-A-D dot com. And we are on um, 
all of the social media uh, with uh, um, Instagram, Facebook. So Hamilton pretty much does does all of that. And again, uh, we have a, a, a place where you can contact us online. Uh, but I'm happy to give uh, number 803 960 uh, 8615. Uh, and- Terry, let, let me say to you, man, I, I'm, I'm so humble and honored to talk to you. And um, I pray that um, we'll have a chance to talk together again. Uh, maybe we take it to another level and do some seminars someplace, you know, for small businesses. And 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 how we get other entities involved in growing the business and getting the word out. But yeah, love to love to continue the dialogue. And uh, I'm grateful, extremely humble, and uh, most appreciative. Likewise, I mean, I, I love the sound of that. Just just being able to expand our conversation and 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 just take it to a new level. I mean, I, I you know I think that's great. I think information is power. And, and I think you, you, you know, you've, you've already just solidified the, the amount of expertise you have to say the least. And, um, I, I would love to share the expertise that I have to share with people, um, whether it's in the Carolinas or with, whether it's virtual, in person, you name it. I mean, I, I'm at your beck and call because I'm humbled and, and, and just grateful and appreciative that you were able to share some time with us. And realizing that we have that, that that common bond and fraternity, to say the least. I mean, I'm always a phone call away, and we definitely will figure out a way to connect those dots and and do those seminars and trying to figure out some other ways that we can do some great business together. Because I I, I say this to people all the time, Tony. It's I said, you know what? The divine nine, not just our fraternity, but other fraternities, they were in the forefront of the civil rights movement. Now we're in an economic movement. You know, we what, what we want to do is we want to figure out how can we how can we level the playing field economically. So there's a lot of people that are doing phenomenally well in our fraternity as well as others, and say, okay, how can we pool our resources for one common goal? So I I, I, love, yeah. I love the sound of that. And, and you know, again, we we were blessed to do the uh, financing for. Three of divine nine, three of the divine nine's uh, headquarter buildings, uh, Zeta Phi Beta headquarter building, and Sigma Gamma Rho. We did their transition when they moved from Chicago, and bought a building in uh, in Raleigh, North Carolina. We managed that whole process, got the financing, arranged the financing, and then managed the process of them finding a new building. So I, yeah, uh, uh, but again, I, to your point. The Divine Nine is a an integral part because we couldn't join country clubs back then, right? And it, it was fraternities and sororities that really um, you know, brought us across that field. I agree. I agree. Well, yeah. What we want to do is we want to try to figure out how can we continue to expand the reach, um, not just in our fraternity but beyond, and and, and then kind of be able to lead. You know, by example, in our, you know, as it relates to sharing those resources with people who look like us in the community and and, and, and encourage people who don't look like us to participate in that in that growth, in in, in that empowerment that we can that we can bestow on people. And, um, you know, like I said, I'm the kind of person I think you mentioned something and I'll paraphrase kind of one of the things that I I, I, I say often, you know, I'm not going to focus on the problem or even bring a, a problem to someone's attention if I don't at least have some kind of a solution. So right. at the end of the day, I'm never going to be the kind of person that's going to be complaining about what we don't have, what I don't have, what others don't have. I'm I'm a man that's all about solutions. So whatever part I can play in a solution for my daughter, for your children, for them to be able to say, we have a new day because of those who preceded us, you know, um, you know, in, in, in their professional pursuits and their personal pursuits and their commitment to moving us forward. I want to be a part of that. You've already led by example. I love to join the race that you're running. And we ought to talk about it because I have some ideas about potential sponsorships for your program here uh, and potentially uh, commercials, you know, uh, selling commercial space, uh, to folks who could benefit from it, who who could 
who would benefit from the audience you're reaching. So we ought to talk about that and I, uh, uh, go from there. I appreciate that. I mean, that's music to my ears. You know, you just you, you just made my day just, you know, with that as well as this conversation as a whole. So we'll definitely be talking about that offline. And I look forward to having that conversation. But once again, I just wanted to thank you for joining us. And then also I wanted to thank the people for tuning in, whether, you know, you're you're watching on Spotify or you're listening on Amazon Music, Audible, Apple Podcasts, Google Chromecast, I'm sorry, Google Podcasts, iHeartMedia, or Pandora. We, we Again, we're just, you know, extremely appreciative of the support that you continue to, to lend to us and how you're wrapping your hands around these conversations and, you know, lining up to hear these conversations with people such as Tony Grant. And just want to encourage everybody to hit that subscribe button wherever you get your podcast. We drop a new episode every Wednesday at 7 a.m. And all of these conversations, the goal in mind is to help you prepare for takeoff. Thanks for joining us. Thank you very much, Terry.